Welcome to the inaugural episode of Royally Screwed. I'm your host, Chris Shear, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. Besides the obvious intrigue of the rule of the week, it'll be my job to teach a little history about the country, kingdom, region, etc., where this ruler happened to live. Because, surprisingly or not, a lot of things have changed geographically over the thousands of years people have been ruling over others. We might go over stories of rulers from countries that haven't existed for over 2,000 years. But, obviously, the real reason you're probably here is because you want to learn about whatever wacky story about royalty I've decided is the topic for the episode. So I'll try to keep the actual history lecture to a minimum, unless you're into that. Now, obviously, we can all name a few people who have been in power who we'd consider great, horrible, or maybe a bit not all there. I promise we'll go over more famous stories as this podcast goes forward, but I wanted to kick things off with a little-known story. We're going back in time to the late 16th, early 17th centuries Russia. Everyone, this is the story of Russia in the case of too many Dimitris. Now, to get a little bit of background on the time period, I'm going to explain a couple of things. First things first, the setting. Throughout the rest of the episode, I'll refer to the country as Russia, but it's not the Russia we know of it today. Back in the late medieval era and a bit into the Renaissance, there was the Grand Duchy of Moscow, which most people tend to just shorten down to Muscovy. As I'm sure you can guess, this nation was more or less the area of present-day Russia centered around Moscow, along with what would eventually become Finland. So whenever I say that someone was the Tsar of Russia, the land they ruled was definitely not the largest nation in the world stretching from Europe to the North Pacific. Next, you should know who larger groups of the players are. To kick things off, we have the boyars. These were your typical upper-class Russian feudal lords, well, more or less feudal lords because their power had recently been decreased by Tsar Ivan III. But still, just remember that the boyars are the rich and powerful within Russian society. And just like any rich and powerful group of people who are not actually in charge of the nation, they're going to try to use any remaining power they have to get what they want. Next, we have the Cossacks. While there were actually many different groups referred to as Cossacks, they were all independently operated democratic armies operating in Russia. They spent most of their time fighting against the remains of Genghis Khan's fractured empire within Central Asia. Because the Cossacks were usually not wealthy citizens, they were more or less the polar opposites of the boyars. Now all of this craziness just happened to be taking place during a period called the Time of Troubles. and. I know that sounds like a fake and dumb name, but that's the real name for it. You can't really make up this stuff when it comes to historical Russia, what with dealing with people named Ivan the Terrible and Peter the Great. It's like it was all designed to be told as a story, which I'm doing right now, so it works out. 
The time of troubles came about when the last Tsar of the founding Rurik dynasty died, and one boyar, remember, those are the rich people, named Boris Godunov, was placed in charge of Russia. His reign happened to coincide with a horrible famine, and seeing how Boris was not the best ruler already, it led to a period of strife and discontentment. People were looking for someone to take charge, someone who could bring the people of Russia back to the days of the Rurik dynasty. It didn't matter who it was. Hell, they'd accept a guy who was just willing to say he was the brother of the last czar of the Rurik dynasty. And luckily, that's exactly what they got. We begin with the Tsarevich, basically the same thing as a prince. Tsarevich Dmitry Ivanovich was the son of Ivan the Terrible, which means obviously he had a great life when your dad becomes known as the Terrible. I'd love to explore Ivan the Terrible in a future episode, so we'll avoid a history lesson on him for now. All we need to know about Ivan the Terrible for this story is that he existed, fathered some children, and I'm going to interject here and give you the lovely trivia that one of them was named Ivan Ivanovich, and then our buddy Ivan, the Terrible, died. Besides Dmitri, there was also his older half-brother Feodor. Even back in the day, it was well known that Feodor was probably suffering from some sort of cognitive or mental illness, so he was ruler in name only. Now, unfortunately for Feodor, Ivan the Terrible's tendencies for being terrible ended up with Feodor eventually becoming the heir to the Tsardom. And when he was finally crowned Tsar, the man who actually held all the power was his brother-in-law, Boris Godunov. Now, what happens next isn't 100% known to be true, but it's the story we have for now and is mostly agreed upon to be true. And it also just fits well with the weird state of Russia at the time. Even though Feodor was married, he remained childless, and Boris was still acting as a high-ranking official in the Russian government. If Feodor were to bite it anytime soon, the Tsardom would go not to basically already Tsar Boris Godunov, but to eight years old Dmitri. Now seeing as Boris was basically a rich man corrupted by power and money, he couldn't have an eight-year-old upstage him. So what did Boris do? He shipped off Dmitri and his group of Ivan the Terrible's wife and children to Dmitri's city he had been gifted because he was Tsarevich. Yeah, an eight-year-old was gifted a city. Anyway, this exile didn't last long for Dmitri because, due to mysterious circumstances and definitely probably not an assassin sent by Boris, the Tsarevich was stabbed and died. Now, we do know with complete certainty where the story goes from there. Feodor died without siring an heir, which meant that Boris Godunov was officially Tsar now that the Rurik dynasty was no more. And then we reach the year 1600, or at least around then. A young man happened to impress the patriarch Job, who was the bishop of Russia and basically the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church. Word eventually spread about this young man a young man claiming to be the late Tsar's younger brother, Dmitri. With word spreading, it shouldn't be too surprising that eventually the rumors of a still-living Tsarevich Dmitri reached the ears of Boris Godunov. 
fearing his position of power, which, yeah, he really needed to because he wasn't in all that great of a place, what with it being the time of troubles, Boris attempted to have this Dmitri claimant discredited as a fake. So I'm going to have to come out right now and say that we don't know for certain whether or not the next bit is actually true or just a story made up by Boris, but many historians have taken it to be the truth. Boris Godunov came out with the story that this Dmitri was actually a monk named Grigory Otrepiev. The paranoid Tsar attempted to seize Dmitri, and I'm putting some heavy air quotes around Dmitri because, spoiler alert, he isn't. But the young man did what any of us would do in the situation. He ran away to the Commonwealth of Poland-Lithuania, where he was taken in by Polish nobility. While he was hiding away in Poland, Dmitri managed to gather support for his goal of becoming Tsar by cozying up to the nobility. With their aid, as well as the aid of the Cossacks, who were already against the boyars, Dmitri led a military strike against Boris's army in Moscow. And wouldn't you believe it, with the aid of Polish and Lithuanian nobles and the Cossacks, Dmitri lost. Yeah, I know, the guy who right now is technically the hero of our story loses against the rich and powerful bad guy. But luckily for Dmitri, during this time, he managed to get support from the people living in southern Russia. Eventually, the evil boss of Russia, Boris, died from a stroke, and his son, ironically named Feodor, took the throne. Unfortunately for King Teen Feodor II, Boris had accumulated a lot of enemies over the years who weren't too keen on seeing the Godunov bloodline continue ruling their nation. So Feodor and his mom had to go. Permanently. Fast forward through a couple meetings of the Russian nobility later, and it was decided that this guy claiming to be Tsarevich Dmitri would become Tsar. And I mean, why not? He had been opposed to Boris and had actually led a decent attempt at a war against the dead Tsar. And now, after several long years since he was just a monk who impressed some pretty important people, on July 21st, 1605, Dmitri was crowned Tsar. Finally, our hero is Tsar and he kinda screwed it up. But not at first. He actually did a good job at paving the way to heal the Russia that had been torn apart by the Godunovs. He even managed to get the approval of the real Dmitri's mother, who for some reason accepted his story that he was her son. However, it soon became obvious that Dmitri's allegiances weren't entirely Russian. He had made powerful friends during his time away from Moscow, and those were friendships he planned on keeping. One of Dmitri's plans was to help reunite Russian Orthodoxy with Catholicism, something the Russian church kinda didn't want. He was planning on doing this in order to join forces against the Ottoman Empire because, you know, Islamophobia is an ancient concept. Anyway, the final straw came with Dmitri's marriage to Marina Menisik, and I probably screwed up that name, sorry, I don't speak Polish. Marina was a Polish noblewoman, meaning she was Catholic. Normally, someone who wasn't Russian Orthodox who married into the Tsardom would convert, but Dmitri did not make his wife convert from Catholicism. This sparked outrage from the boyars, who believed that Dmitri was turning his back on their nation. In May of 1606, not even a full year into his rule, and just barely into his marriage to Marina, the boyars decided enough was enough. They staged a coup against Dmitri and had him killed. 
and allegedly just as a final middle finger to the Polish favoring Tsar, they cremated him, put his ashes in a cannon, and fired them westward towards Poland. And thus ends the story of False Dimitri. At least the first one. A little over a year after the death of False Dimitri, rumors had spread that maybe Dimitri had survived the coup against him. Taking advantage of those rumors was a boyar who called himself Nagoy, which historians usually refer to also as a pseudonym. Now, this guy had guts, because apparently he didn't look anything like the other guy who proclaimed he was Dimitri. But in Dimitri II's defense, he spoke both Russian and Polish, was highly educated for the time, and knew quite a bit about the Russian church. These were all traits that Dmitri I, a false Dmitri, not the actual Tsarevich, would have possessed. Though he was living as Nagoy, he somehow came to be tortured, and it was there that our new protagonist confessed that he was actually Dmitri, son of Ivan the Terrible. From there, Dmitri II actually caught a pretty lucky break when everyone who was still unhappy, which was basically the entire population of Russia and Poland, decided to get in new Dmitri's corner. Jerzy Minisik, Polish nobleman and father-in-law of false Dmitri I, decided that he was going to latch on to this kind of obvious faker's story. Jerzy staged a reunion between his daughter and Dmitri II. Now, the only reason I can see any of this actually happening is because people want more power than they already had. Plain and simple Game of Thrones power plays, because Marina Minesic also decided to go along with the idea that Dimitri II was her late husband. It was through this fake performance that our new hero gathered the support of Dimitri I's old allies, the Polish nobility. With all these new allies in tow, Dimitri began his grand military campaign to become Tsar. He was able to swiftly capture several towns and cities before he turned his sights to Moscow. Along the way, his promises to regulate Boyar estates gained him the love and alliance of the common folk who lived around Moscow. Dmitri set up camp in another city he had captured called Tushino. Because the city is where Dmitri II had most of his power, he's often called the Thief of Tushino. Now, I'm not entirely sure how many people were serving the Tsar's army at the time, but I do know about how many soldiers were willing to fight for Dmitri II. And that number would be about 100,000. I want you all to think about that. This guy, who was basically running on luck alone, managed to garner the support of basically every individual outside of the capital, as well as the neighboring kingdom. Now, Dmitri I had also had a fair bit of luck on his side, but current Dmitri's path to power could barely be considered bluffing. I may not be a 17th century Russian, but I think it's pretty obvious to assume that most people knew Dmitri II was neither false Dmitri I nor the real Dmitri Ivanovich. So now, the thief of Tushino has reached the apex of power. He's the most important man in the land that does not hold the title of Tsar. So what does he do next? Well, there's only one place to go. No, not Moscow down. Unfortunately for Dmitri, he was just one unofficial ruler sandwiched between three very powerful rulers. 
The first step to his downfall came when the current Tsar, Vasily IV, allied Moscow with Sweden. The combined force proved to be capable enough to take on Dmitry's massive army. The second step came with King Sigismund III of Poland. Russia and Poland had more or less been in an unofficial war for the past few years. According to some historians, the case of too many Dimitris has actually been considered an important play by Poland to win the war before it even broke out. Anyways, with Russia and Sweden now officially a single unit, King Sigismund knew it was time to officially act. He led his army into Russia. Not doing as any loyal Polish soldier would do at the time, the massive Polish force that served Dmitry II left him to rejoin their king. The combined forces of Moscow and Sweden took Tushino, forcing Dmitry to flee for safety. He eventually managed to regroup with a group of Cossacks, but he would never get back to the power of his 100,000 strong army. His new army managed to recover his control of southern Russia, but this new foothold did not last long. Maybe this sudden loss of power made Dmitry go insane. Maybe he was just a cruel person. Either way, it is noted that Dmitry at one point flogged a man named Prince Peter Urizov, who, by the way, was one of Dmitry's allies. Prince Peter was a member of the Tatars, one of the many factions of the former whole Mongolian Empire. I think it's safe to say, though, that princes don't like being flogged. In December of 1610, Peter managed to get his revenge. Dmitri was drunk and decided to go partied up with some boyars. One of the men accompanying him was Peter Urizov. Taking advantage of Dmitri's state, Peter pulled out a pistol and shot him. And just to rub a little more salt in the wound, the revenge-seeking prince beheaded him. that's it for false Dmitri II. He didn't manage to get as far as his predecessor, but Dmitri II had a good thing going for him at least for a little bit. And though the crown of Tsardom was forever out of his reach, Dmitri II managed to set up something very important for the future of Russia. During his time in Tushino, Dmitri bolstered support for a disgraced nobleman named Fyodor Romanov and rose him up to the rank of patriarch in the Russian church. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Romanov family will eventually become the ruling family of Russia, and they'll have control of Russia from 1613 all the way up until the dissolution of the Russian Empire and the creation of the Soviet Union in 1917. If you're familiar with Anastasia, uh, maybe you saw the cartoon movie, this was her family. So, even though I can't say Dmitry II became a hero and king, he managed to set the stage for the future of Russia. But, like I said before, he was lucky to get that far. I could see people not realizing right away that false Dmitry I was, well, false. But the people should have known by that point not to be tricked by a second faker. Luckily, that's the end. I mean, Russia wouldn't fall for a third false Dmitry, right? Okay, so in 1611, yet a third man came forward and proclaimed himself to be Tsarevich Dmitry Ivanovich. This guy did not get far. 
He acknowledged himself as Dimitri in March of that year, but he didn't end up gathering any significant allies until March of 1612 when he managed to get some Cossacks on his side. I'd like to think at this point everyone actually knew Dimitri III was lying, but the state of Russia, with it still being the time of troubles, made everyone hungry for change and revolution. Dmitry III's only real show of power was when he captured the city of Piskov, gaining him the name Thief of Piskov. But unlike Dmitry I and II, Dmitry III did not have luck on his side. In May, only two months after kind of rising to power, Dmitry was betrayed and forced to flee Piskov. He was eventually captured by the authorities and executed in Moscow. The only good thing Dmitry III ever had going for him was that the Cossacks proclaimed him Tsar, which technically didn't even mean anything in the long run. Sorry, buddy. But with the death of number three, the saga of too many Dmitris ended. Until false Dmitry IV. Okay, I'm joking about a fourth fake, at least to an extent because some people say there was a fourth, but others just say it's bad record keeping with Dimitri III. However, the fact that three guys managed to fake their way into power, with one of them actually becoming Tsar no less, is just really unbelievable. But like I said in the beginning, this was the time of troubles. With a name like that, you should expect some weird situations that sound like they came right out of a storybook. The Dimitris are just one footnote in Russia's very long and complicated list of rulers, and I'm sure we'll return at least a few times to share these stories in the future. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Next time, we're going from three obscure fakers to one very famous ruler whose dark deeds still inspire a huge portion of popular culture today. We're moving just a hop, skip, and a jump from Russia down to historical Romania to learn about the bloody history of Vlad the Impaler. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers.